right, I wanna welcome all of our campuses to the sixth week of our series called You'll Get Through This. I wanna welcome every week all the men and women at the St. Tammany Parish Jail, as well as the Orleans Justice Center. Come on, can we just welcome all those that are joining us live, South Shore, Gulf Coast, Baton Rouge, online, here at Little Creek. We are in a six, actually, I added a week, by the way. Uh, it's now a seven-week series, so I'll be finishing up next week. We're looking at the book of Philippians. Twice a year, I'll teach you a book of the Bible. Sometimes I'll actually do one in the summer as well. Uh, and I like to do that. So I added a week. Uh, so next week, I'll be finishing up. By the way, the week after that, uh, some of you may have heard this from your campus pastors uh, during the announcement, but we're going to begin a new series, three weeks long, called 2020, as we celebrate the first 20 years of Church of the King. Can we give Jesus a hand clap for that? 20 years. And I want you to be honest, I don't look any different. Come on now. You know that's true. You know that's true. Today, I'm going to ask you to open your Bible to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I want to talk to you today about what the Bible teaches about a content life. But Paul the Apostle in Philippians chapter 4, he begins to address this whole theme of contentment. What does it mean when the Bible talks about contentment? It reminds me of a story of a guy and his co-pilot would fly across the Smoky Mountains and one time as they were flying over, the co-pilot noticed that every time they did that, the pilot would look down at this particular stream, and, and there was a log in this stream, and, 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 he, and he saw it. He said, man, you, you just seem transfixed. Every time we fly over, you look down there, and he says, well, there's a reason why. Because when I was a kid, you see that stream and that log? I used to sit on that log, and I would go fishing, and I would look up, and I wish I was flying. He says, you know, you know what I think now? I wish I was down there fishing. The funny thing is, that's how it is with all of our lives. I remember growing up as a kid, I had straight, real straight hair, and I had a good friend of mine who had curly hair. I thought to myself, if I could just have curly hair, my life would be better. Only to find out that he said the same thing about me. He said, man, if I could just have straight hair, isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting that we always want what we don't have? Just think about that for a moment. Man, I just can't wait till I get to retirement. Boy, I just can't wait till I get retirement. You talk to people that are retired, they can't wait to get a job. I mean that. They want to do something. I mean, what am I going to do all day long? Man, if I just wish I had this, if I wish I had this. It's interesting. If I, if, I, if I was only a little bit younger, if I was a little bit older. Matter of fact, when we started Church of King, I was 30 years old. And it's interesting. I, I sat with a great, wise pastor. Many of you know his name. He retired a number of years ago in our area. And he said this. He says, Steve, listen to me. He says, when you're 30, the older people will think that you're too young. When you turn 50, the, older, the younger people will think that you're too old. The bottom line is you've got to enjoy the journey in every phase of your life. Why is this? Because we have to be careful to not be capturing, captured in wanting something that we don't have. We always compare and we contrast. We think, my gosh, if I can just have a bigger house, if I can just have a bigger house. You talk to people with big houses, they wish they had a smaller house because it takes a lot to clean the house. Man, if we can just have this, if we can just do that. You talk to people that live in the mountains, boy, if we just had a beach house. Talk to people on the beach, man, if we just go in the mountains. My gosh, if I could just get up there. Why is that? Because we always tend to want something that we don't have. Paul the Apostle in Philippians begins to unpack this whole concept of contentment. What is biblical contentment? Does biblical contentment mean that we don't press and have goals and dreams for tomorrow? No, it doesn't. 
Does biblical contentment mean that we're just passive in life and we just accept whatever's coming in our No, it doesn't. I'm going to address that. Actually, the Bible talks about the tension of believing and dreaming for goals and pressing. Everybody say press. Remember Paul said last week, I press. So there's not a contradiction between the press component as well as the contentment moment. I'm going to talk about that today. Let me give you two things that war against contentment in our life. Number one is cares. And they both begin with C, cares. The Bible talks a lot about the cares of life. Mark chapter four, listen to what the scripture says about cares. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. What happens with the cares of life is the cares of life produce in us a certain anxiety. And when we hit anxiety in our life, wow, does God really, you know, is God really dependable? Can I really depend upon God? And well, maybe God can help me, but but does he want to help me? Maybe he's helping other people. And so what happens is cares of this life tend to get our soul out of a place of contentment because we're always holding God in contempt, whether or not he really is going to help us. Should I really, should I really be satisfied in Christ alone? Or is there something else coming around the corner? Number one is cares. Number two, the second thing that tends to move us out of contentment is comparison. Comparison. Boy, that is a challenge for all of us. I know that's been a lifelong challenge for me. We always compare with one another, right? That's what we do. We compare what we have versus what somebody else doesn't have, or we compare what we don't have versus about what somebody else has. By the way, social media, that's where social media, you, you're excited about life. You're excited about the trip that you just went on. You go on social media, and you found out somebody else did a better trip. They did more excursions. They did better. And now, all of a sudden, what was, what was to be a moment of rejoicing, now it's a moment of potential disdain. Why? Because you don't have what they have. Comparison. By the way, the Bible talks about comparison. The Bible warns us about comparison. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says this. He says, we do not dare. He says, I don't even, look, let me tell you. We do not dare to classify or what? Everybody say it out loud. One, two, three. Come on, say it. Compare. He says, I don't, Listen. Let me tell you how dangerous this is. Let me tell you how potentially toxic this is. Let me tell you how potentially insidious how this comes in to rob, steal, kill. Why? Because when we compare, he says, we don't even dare to classify or compare ourselves with with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They're not wise. In other words, when you look around and you see what you don't have versus what you do have or what you do have versus what somebody, I'm telling you, Paul says, it's unwise. It hooks your soul in a regressive posture where no longer are you moving forward in God. Now you're mad at God or you're upset at your spouse. You're upset at your boss or they don't have. Why? Because Paul says, listen, we're very careful. We don't even dare do this. The implications are high. A couple weeks ago, I was in Southern California on a thing and, and, and I was there and, and I, was, I happened to be sitting in this. The, the weather was just amazing. I thought, this is incredible. I just, and I was looking out in the ocean. I thought, this is just amazing. I, I don't even know what to say. It just, and then I was hungry. I went into this restaurant and I went to go get something to eat. And I thought, this is terrible. <laughs> this makes red lobster look good. I mean, I'm just being honest. This is terrible. Then I looked up and the Rams were playing. I thought, that's horrible. 
And then I turned changing station and Anthony Davis for the Lakers. I thought, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm just being. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing what happens in each one of us where something can change and because based upon comparison? By the way, a geographical cure is not a cure for soul discontentment. Wow, if I could just move there, if I can just move there. Listen, I've talked to a lot of people that said they've just, if I could just move there, and wherever there is, there's also another there. You'll realize that, right? There's always another there. There's always, if I can just have this, if I can just have a different spouse, if I can have just different this, different job. Look, I'm not suggesting things don't grow and change and we don't get promoted. I'm not suggesting that at all. What I am saying is that when you're here, make sure that you don't lust for there. Well, that was good preaching, by the way. You got something that the last night crew didn't get, by the way. Because it's an issue, really, of the soul. All right, here we go. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 to 13, I want to talk to you about contentment. Paul says, but I rejoiced in the Lord. By the way, I want to say this again. Don't miss next week. I'm finishing up. I'm going to take the last part of the chapter because if I don't finish the book of Philippians, somebody will email me. <laughs> Pastor, you didn't do it. I'm going to go all the way to the end just for you. Amen. God bless you. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. I'm going to read the last word just for y'all. I'm telling you. <laughs> so I'm just having fun. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care but you lacked opportunity. Look at verse 11. He said, look, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned. Everyone say learned. That's going to become a very important word in a moment. He said, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Verse 12. I know how to be abased. In other words, I know how to go when, when things aren't going well and I don't have a, it's not happening at work and deals aren't closing. And look, I, I've been there. Paul says, I, look, I, I understand how that works. But I also know how to abound. Things are happening and man, it's moving and things are closing. And boy, he goes, look, I get it. I, I, look, I, I've been up. I've been, I, I got it. He says, everywhere and in all things, he says, I have what? Say that again, say it. Learn. I've learned. I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer in need. Look at that last verse. By the way, one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. Now, let me say something. A very powerful verse. It's probably on many refrigerators. It's on a lot of just little, little cards that people give. A very, very, very powerful verse. I wonder if people realize that this verse is actually used in the context of contentment. Paul said, I can do all things. Everybody say, all things. He said, man, I can do all things. In other words, I know the abounding time. I know the abasing time. He says, I can do all things who cry, through Christ who what? Come on, say it. Strengthens me. Three things about contentment I want to talk to you about today. Three, three secrets to contentment. Number one, I believe that Paul would say that contentment is learned. You're not, in other words, you're not born with a contentment gene. Well, you've got the contentment chip. Well, you don't have it. Well, you've got it. No, no, no. This is not a DNA issue. It's not a design issue. Many people believe that contentment is something you either have it or you don't. That's not true. It doesn't come from the factory. No, as a matter of fact, Paul says it's learned. 
If there's anybody, if there's anybody that had to learn contentment, we're talking about a type A personality here, Paul. We're talking about a D on the disc test. We're talking about whatever analogy or personality profile or whatever your professional assessment of high capacity people are. This is Paul. So if there's anybody that didn't get the chip, which there is no chip, it would have been Paul. But Paul said, guess what? I've learned. Everybody say learned. He said, I've learned. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned. I've learned this. It's been hard. It's been troublesome at times. I've cried out to God. I've not understood what's going on. I've seen when churches are planted, and I think when signs and wonders and miracles, I remember laying hands on this person, and man, they were just raised up, and it was just, and healing took place, but also, and, and it was awesome, and we were high-fiving one another as an apostolic team, but I also know what it's like to be run out of town. That's what Paul said. He said, but in either case, whether people being raised from the dead or whether I'm being run out of town, I've learned something. Paul said, I've learned, I've learned whatever state I'm in to be content. How about you? How about me? Can you say what the apostle Paul says? Man, we all love the energy, the enthusiasm. We all love when it's going on. The issue is, are we content? Whether it's going well or whether it's not. I want to begin to break down something for you, and I want to begin to kind of parse this, all right? You remember in school, we'd parse different words. I want to begin to parse this. I want to suggest the thought to you, all right? I want everybody to hear me at all of our campuses. Contentment has very little to do with stuff. It has everything to do with the soul. What I found is, is that if somebody doesn't have a content heart, it doesn't matter how much stuff they have. It doesn't matter how many accomplishments they have. There, there's, it's a soul issue. It's not a stuff issue. That's where some people get it wrong. Well, you need to be content. Be content with what? With what you have? No, it's not a stuff issue. It's a soul issue. Now, let me give you some things that contentment's not. Contentment is not complacency. Contentment is not complacency. Well, where we just enter into this inert state of just kind of, I'm just kind of hanging out. Why? I'm being content. I'm moving to Montana. I'm going to get a little cabin, and I'm going to watch the migratory bird patterns. What are you doing? I'm content. No, no, it's not content. You're lazy. You need a job. I'm not talking about contentment is not. Contentment is not passivity. That's not contentment. Contentment is not or, or, or somebody that's inactive. That's not contentment. Contentment is not about stuff. It's about the soul. Because I can tell you some people that don't have a lot of stuff, they're not content. Because they're thinking all day long about how to get the stuff that they don't have. It's not about the stuff, it's about the soul. Are we satisfied in Christ regardless of seeing miracles or being run out of town, Paul would say. Contentment, the power of contentment. Contentment is also engaging the day, every part of the day. Really, contentment is a stewardship word. Am I taking care of what God's given me today? Am I stewarding what God's given me today? Watch this. Am I taking care of the responsibility and the field that God has given me today? Or am I always looking at somebody else's field? If I'm looking at somebody else's field, my soul has moved from a posture of rest into a posture of agitation because now I'm a comparer. Does that make sense? Paul said, I am very careful to maximize my day, to, to, to optimize my responsibilities. It's not about passivity. It's about stewardship and, and satisfaction in God and stewardship with the assignment that God has given you. 
Paul said, I've learned it. I've learned how to be content. It's interesting, I was thinking the other day, I was thinking about this duplicity that we often go through. I would call it a dichotomy, a paradox, whatever you want to say, where, where, where in one sense we, we, we need to be engaged, but in another sense we have to be satisfied in Christ. I want to say this, I want to say it very loudly. Being content is not a, it is not a, a license to undermine us from dreaming. We should dream if we're content, but in the process of dreaming, we should be satisfied in Christ whether we reach the dream or not whether we reach a dream or not. Number one, I have a lot to say about that point, but I have to go to point two because there's another group coming in after y'all. Number two, contentment comes from gratitude. Uh-oh. So let me give you some signs here. Contentment comes from gratefulness or gratitude. Philippians chapter four, verse 12, Paul said, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. As, as outlandish as this seems, our souls can act this way, where our souls can be up or our souls can be down based upon what we have in our hands. Listen to me closely. What contentment is really about is disconnecting your soul from what is or isn't in your hand so that your soul is happy in God based upon a lot being in your hand or based upon a little being in your hand. That's contentment. It's your soul is satisfied in Christ independent of what is in your hand. You're stewarding what's put in your hand, but if things are not, here's what I found about stuff. Stuff comes and stuff goes. Paul said, one of the things that God has given us to measure our contentment is gratitude. I want to talk to you about that for a moment because I want to get real practical. All right, Pastor, how do I know? How do I know if I'm moving towards a real soul that's content in God? And I'll tell you how. One of the ways is through, content, is through gratitude. Are you, a, are you a grateful person? Am I a grateful person? It's interesting, the analogy of a, a child. You can have two kids grow up in the same home same parents buying same presents at Christmas or the same, you know, basic things, kind of the range or whatever for a birthday. And you have one kid that's always coming back saying, thank you so much. And you have another one that feels entitled that, oh, wait, time out. This is why I should have gotten that way. What's the difference? The difference is, the difference is not the present. The difference is, is, is the lack of gratitude. The difference is the condition, the condition and perspective of where their life and their soul is. How that relates to us. Are we grateful to God? Are we really grateful to God? I'm not talking about, listen, I'm not talking about just for stuff. I'm talking about, let's start base one. Are we grateful that we got up today? How many are grateful for today that we actually got out of bed in the morning? Again, I'm trying to disconnect our soul from stuff because, by the way, God doesn't have a problem with you having stuff. He just doesn't want stuff to have you. And secondly, he doesn't want your soul to be sick when you don't have a lot of stuff. That, that's the whole point. It's not about stuff. You know what happens with stuff. You save up money. You go to the beach. You got these sunglasses. You cannot wait to get to the beach, primarily to wear your new sunglasses. 
And you get there, it's amazing. You get there early, you got the little thing with the, you know, you rent it or whatever, the little, the little umbrella deal, you know, and you got up before everybody and you made sure, because you're a Christian, but you looked at them like you weren't, to back up. And so you got everybody. And so, and you're so excited and you're just there and, and, and everybody, oh, just wonderful. And, and, and you've got your sunglasses on and, and you're just sitting there and, just, and it's just like, it's not heaven, but it's, it's, re, it's like, it's a couple levels under, but it's, it's just so relaxing. And then at 10 o'clock, that night, you realize, I left my sunglasses at the beach. Oh my gosh. And your wife says to you, don't worry about it. It's going to be there tomorrow. You go tomorrow. They're not there. But there's a college kid who has glasses very close to your glasses. And you know they're yours, but your wife says, you don't have, don't say anything. You're going to get in a fight. Don't do it. Don't say anything. And you're like, that kid has my glasses. I mean, all stuff comes and stuff goes. Our soul can't be happy whether we do or we don't have stuff. First, <laughs> some of y'all were picturing that fight, huh? Were y'all picturing that thing? You don't have it anymore, neither do I. First Thessalonians chapter 5. <laughs> We're talking about the power of contentment. And one of the ways that, 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 that is an evidence of a content heart is our gratitude. By the way, here's what I found out. When our, when our, when our, when our gratitude goes up, our discontentment goes down. When our gratitude goes up, discontentment goes down. When discontentment is going up, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, watch this. I'm telling you, in all of our lives, it's possibly because our gratitude has gone down. That's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, this is what he said. He, he said this. He said, in everything. Everybody say, in everything. Notice, not for everything. My dog died, got hit by a car. Thank you, God, for doing that. That's not God. God didn't do that. Are y'all with me? It says, not for everything. That's a different preposition. In everything. In everything. In other words, regardless if I got a lot, I got a little. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All right, here's what I'm going to do. Because I really want to bore down on this point just for a moment. Sometimes we just need to get practical. I want everybody to stop and to think about this. I'm going to ask five questions, maybe six. I want all of our campuses to answer this, all right? I usually don't do this, but I am going to ask for class participation. So I'm going to ask for some hands being raised. Are you guys with me? All right, here we go. Number one, number one. How many of you were afforded, all of our campuses, how many of you were afforded the opportunity to finish high school? Would you raise your hand? Come on, would you raise your hand? All right. Second question. I've got six questions. How about college and or post-college graduate school at any level? Would you raise your hand? Raise your hand. Okay. That's a lot. All right. Third question. How many of you would have, I know this is a relative question, but you're going to answer it yourself, right? No way, you're, here it is. How many of you have a good job and a reasonably successful career? Would you just raise your hand up here? Okay, all right, good. Three more questions. Oh man, this is big. This is big. How many of you have reasonably good health? Raise your hand. This one is so big right here, so big. Can I pause for a moment, tell y'all something about health? When you don't have it, how many of you know you desperately long for it? Oh, man, oh, listen, you know, this summer, my voice, I was, my voice, and it's getting a little bit better, my voice, I went to this voice specialist, one of the top in the nation. I went to this person, and they've got, there's some things they're working on, but one of the things they said 
is, is uh, you know, they had like eight people in a room. They got things down my throat, you know, and there was, I got some good news. I got some news. I got it to develop a little bit. And one of the things they said was, you know, at the end of this, I said, well, well doc, tell me what you think. He goes, well, number one, your biggest problem is, is um, you're dehydrated. You don't drink enough water. So I'm dehydrated. I got eight people in a room who tell me I'm dehydrated. God is listening to what I'm about to say. I'm not making this up to be funny. On Thursday, I went to another doctor because I had a thing in my neck. I don't go to doctors much. I'm, I'm all into doctors. It's great, but I don't go that much. And I had this thing in my neck, so I had to go to this doctor, you know, and because I got stressed because y'all are stressing me out. And so I, <laughs> I'm serious. And so, so I'm not making this up. At the end of the thing, he goes, well, there's a couple of things. He goes, but not primarily, can I just tell you this from feeling around? You're dehydrated. I said, I don't know what your copay is. I'm not paying it. And the reason why is this thing, I'll, I got to drink more water. I'm out of here. I got it from the guy on Monday. Now it's Thursday. My point in saying that is, is that how many of you know when you don't have health, when your health's not good? Oh, man. Two more questions. How many of y'all have one or two good friends in life, raise your hand. That's huge. Do you realize the national average of how few people have one to two? I'm talking about good friends. I'm not talking about people that, you know, you're on the interstate, you see them every now and then on work and you wave to them. I'm talking about people that you hang. That's a lot. Wow. Last one, how many of y'all would have at any level a loving support structure with family members? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Let me just tell you something. According to this, you are in the elite group. You are in the top 10% in elite group in all of the world. All of the world. I'm talking about just the United States. I'm talking about all of the world. Now, how many of y'all thought about those six things this morning when you got out of bed? Maybe one, maybe two. Here's my point. Listen, here's my point. A lot of times we want some, oh, if I can just have this, I'll be here. If I could just have this, then I'll be here. If we just realize that we already have more than 90% of the global population, how many of you know God has really blessed our lives? Come on, are y'all with me or not? Big time. So that's why I advocate a gratitude list. You guys remember that a couple years ago? If I've been your pastor for a while, you ought to have a book, you ought to have it written down. And when you have one of those little grumpy days, you gotta get mad at everybody, you wanna kick the dog, kick everybody. So you just get out your gratitude list. Get out your gratitude list. You get that list, you write it down, you write down the things. Hey, I'm thankful for this. And by the way, it's good to verbalize that. It's good for God to hear it. It's good for the devil to hear it. It's good for your soul to hear it. And it's good for those that are on the list to hear it. I'm grateful for you, man. I'm great. I want to communicate appreciation to people that have been significant in my life. I try to do that all the time, man. And thank you so much. I am where I am today. Thank you so much. I give credit. People, I still text today that were formative in my life 30 years ago. By the way, you ought to do that. It's good for you. It's good for them, but it's good for your soul. And it helps you to not be agitated by what you don't have and to celebrate where you are. Something about that. Power of gratitude. Y'all ready for the last point? Number three, contentment comes, contentment comes as we rely on God. Remember, this is not about stuff. Paul said, I've had a lot of stuff and I've had little stuff. I had a lot of great things, but I have to, it's an issue of the soul, the soul. 
Contentment comes as we rely upon God. Frustration comes when we rely upon ourselves. Limitation comes when we rely upon ourselves. You and I are finite beings. We are not immortal. We are mortal. We are finite in our wisdom. We are finite, not infinite, finite in our wisdom, finite in our intelligence, finite in our resources, finite. But what happens is, is that when we rely upon a source greater than us, when our dependency is not just upon what we can pull off in life, when our dependency is upon God, Paul said this. This is a scripture, by the way, that I use all the time, and it's appropriate to apply it to different contexts, but the context or different applications, but the context is an issue of contentment. Paul said this. He said, I can do, I can do, everybody say all things. <clears throat> what that means is this. What he's specifically speaking is, I can, here it is. Stay with me. I can still be happy in life because of God's power in me when things are not going well. That's what this means. I can also be happy in life when things are going great. In other words, I have dis Paul is saying this. I'm giving you my interpretation of this, but you bore it out in Scripture. But Paul is basically saying that my soul is independent of stuff. My soul is independent of my accomplishments. And I have learned to be satisfied in Christ, and God will strengthen me. So you can use this verse. Listen to me. You can use this. It's right, theologically appropriate to use this verse as an applied verse to empower you to kick the devil in the head, and you can accomplish things, and you can press forward, and you can move towards your destiny. It's right. It's appropriate. It's biblical. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. At the same time, at the same time, you should use this verse that regardless of what's happening around you, you can do all things. I don't know if I can handle it. Oh, yes, you can. In God, you can. Oh, man, I just don't know. I'm my world's fault. No, no, you, God's with you. God's for you. God's, God is strengthening you. God is empowering you. You can use this verse related to, 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 to pressing towards your destiny, but you can also use this verse related to empowering you in your present when things aren't working out the way you thought. It's either way. So, Paul says, I can do all things. I can overcome obstacles, and I can also have rest in my soul. It's been a lifelong journey for me. I'm not where I want to be, and I'm not where I used to be. But I'm learning. I'm learning contentment is not about stuff. Sometimes we have stuff. Sometimes we don't have stuff. But is my soul happy in God? Am I satisfied in God? Not because of anything that I see, but because my satisfaction comes from God. Paul's trying to disconnect us from our circumstances. Yes, we enjoy good circumstances. I do. You do. Yes, we enjoy when, our, when, 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 things, when we're hitting home runs. Of course we do. Of course we do. There's nothing wrong with that. That's appropriate. But... But can we still be happy in God when a curveball comes and we may miss it one time? Paul says, Paul says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads.
just sense the Holy Spirit here right now. If you're in this place today, matter of fact, all of our campuses, Baton Rouge, Gulf Coast, campus in the South Shore, those that are joining us online, Facebook, here at Little Creek, those in our jails and prisons, I just want everybody to bow their heads just for a moment. I'm going to ask our campus pastors to come on stage right now. Maybe you're here today listening to me, and, and the reality is, if you're honest, you're not really where you need to be with God. You're not even sure if you die today, you're ready to stand before God. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. I can't save you. Church of the King can't save you. But what I can do is I can point you to Jesus. The Bible says he saves. And if you'll lift your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sin, cleanse me, make me new. The Bible says he will cleanse you. He'll forgive you of your sin and he'll give you the gift of his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to live inside of you. And you'll be what the Bible says, born again. Become a new person inside out. Not outside in, inside out. So my question is, do you know Christ? Are you where you need to be with God? Are you at peace with God? Do you know that you know if you die today, you're ready to stand before God? With everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to ask for a show of hands all across our campuses. Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. If that's you, one Two, three, quickly hold your hand up high so I can see it. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir. God bless you as well, sir. God bless you, ma'am. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. Not sure about my relationship with God. Is there anybody else up top? God bless you as well. God bless you, sir, right there. God bless you, sir, right there. God bless you, ma'am, and you, sir. Anybody else? All of our campuses, let's just, let's just join in. Let's pray with those that are trusting Christ right now. Come on, can we do that? This is the most important prayer that somebody will ever pray. Here it is. Let's pray with them. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today, a sinner in need of a Savior. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I let go of my past, and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. I want you to say this. Say, Jesus, wash me with your blood. Give me a new heart, a new life, a new reason to live. Let me just say this. Let me just pray for everybody. Father, I'm asking for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit and the word of the living God taking root deep in the hearts of your people. We ask all this in Jesus' name. I want everybody to look at me all across our campuses. Would you just look at me just for a moment? If you prayed and trusted Christ, the Bible's, or we actually have something for you. As you've made a decision for Christ, we have a decision card. I'm gonna ask you to fill it out. It's behind your chair. You do one of two things. Number one, up front, you can give it to one of our prayer workers. By the way, I want everybody to hear me. After every service, we have a prayer team. We'll be here 15, 20 minutes, whatever, to pray for any needs that you have in your life. They're here for you. You can bring this card to them, or in the foyer, there's people with blue shirts. I'm gonna ask everybody to stand. Those blue shirt folks, they've got some information for you. Let me pray a blessing over you. How many of y'all enjoyed that message today? That help you? You don't want to miss next week. Father, I bless your people as they go forth this day. I pray the grace of God upon their lives. May the favor and the blessing of God surround them like a shield. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said?